0: for the common, and so how can the board uh, do their fiduciary duty for all holders uh, if they're going to get zero for the common? And typically, you know, a way to do that is to uh, have a management carve-out plan to incentivize management to bring a company all the way across the finish line to closing, number one, and two, to reserve another portion of the purchase price uh, for non-management common stockholders. And and it doesn't have to be a huge amount, uh, but that's one way I see uh, um, board members finesse, uh, Uh, that obligation, I would back up a step and say if you're not for sale, you have no duty to listen to any uh, offers to sell your company or or negotiate with anyone. Uh, But once you do declare that you're for sale and and you engage an investment banker and you've got a process going, you you do have a duty. Um, and as to how do you know when it's okay to, to, to go exclusive, there I think it's it, your, your banker's advice that they've done a market check, they've talked to the ecosystem players and they, they believe that it's the, the best price that they're gonna be able to find, number one. And then number two, it's looking at the financial analysis that they provide to you that the the value that the the price being paid is worth more than the discounted cash flows, it's worth uh, more than comparable uh, transactions, uh, and it's worth more than uh, the trading price of, of companies in the market. And so those are kind of the traditional metrics of enterprise value. Um, uh, that, that people like Vitaly can demonstrate uh, as your financial advisor and, and help you know that you've, complete, you've complied with your fiduciary duties. Two more things. Um, you should have an indemnification agreement from your company. And when I join as an advisor to a company, the first thing I do is make sure that my directors and officers have indemnification agreements and that the charter and bylaws specify that so that they're not in harm's way. And two is I make sure that there's an insurance policy to back that up. Uh, and that's a special insurance policy for uh, directors and officers' liability. It's affordable, and it's, uh, it's 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 something that you absolutely should have in place if you're a director or an officer of even a private company. And even you know, as soon as they raise their first round of financing, that that really should be in place.
1: Very good point. Um, so, Brian, unless you have something to add, <clears throat> maybe we'll hit the next one. Um, I think it's, it's, it's good to cover. There's several questions that are poking around kind of the structure and um, you know, when you're buying a license without the assets and liabilities, maybe I can kind of kick that off a little bit and, and see what you guys want to add. And we lost Natasha um, at the top of the hour there. Um, So when there are, there are a few different ways to do this. Um, If you are a buyer and really what you're after is a couple of assets in the company you don 't really need the team, you don 't really need the brand, and you just want access to the tech, then it 's going to behoove you to try to just do a license deal or just to do an asset purchase. Of course, for the seller, you know it 's like you you 've built your aftermarket car with all these bells and whistles, and then somebody just wants to come and get the tires um, you 're pretty much done you know at that point, but in a lot of cases let's let 's face it in this type of environment uh, for a lot of startups. That's their kind of landing on the roof. That's that's some way for them to return some capital um, for the founders to get some economics and maybe get an attractive job offer from the acquirer for a while uh, while they recoup and and plan their next uh, their next battle, their next startup. And, you know, they can return some capital to their investors. And that's always a nice thing to do uh, if you want to keep the relationship. Uh, One thing, too, as I'll mention, is in most cases, probably 99% of the time, unless you're like this is your last startup and you're going to retire. You want to keep relationships with everybody that's been helpful along the way, um, and and you want to do the right thing. So even if you are as a founder personally suffering and you're not getting the exit out of it that you hoped and wished for, you want to do right by your uh, by your investors first and foremost. So I'll, I'll kind of kick it off in that direction.
0: I was going to go hit another question uh, if uh, unless you wanted to add to that, Brian.
1: No,
2: no, I think that was.
0: Uh, there was a really good question from Tim Bin about, about uh, working capital adjustments in transactions and whether they're standard or not. Um, I, I think that you know, the, 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 the level playing field in a transaction is that the purchase price is based on a cash-free and debt-free uh, seller, but with a normal amount of working capital uh, inside the company such that buyer doesn't have to infuse more than the purchase price into the company in order to operate it, and that's typically um, rule of thumbs. Lick my finger and stick it in the air. Uh, uh, it is two months of uh, operating expenses, but but it 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 uh, it could be more. It could be less, and, and that's typically how I see that one uh, resolved. Brian, do you want to add to that? Yeah, I've usually seen
2: and pushed for two to three months, um, but certainly again always going back to leverage you know there are times where you go to zero um, and realize there's a cash infusion you're doing at closing as a buyer it really depends on 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 kind of what you you know what you negotiate in the terms but you always want to start with something that gives the buyer some comfort that they're not immediately pumping cash into the company on top of paying the purchase price out
0: Great point. And I I think working capital adjustments are a a way to swing the the value in one way or another uh, in a transaction and a good financial advisor and a good lawyer can really help you with that. And, you know, one thing I always do on the sell side is make sure that deferred revenue is excluded from the calculation of uh, liabilities in the working capital calculation, as there's so many enterprise SaaS software companies that are collecting, you know, three years or 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 one year of cash upfront, and and they can't recognize the revenue under GAAP, and so that cash then goes onto the balance sheet as as deferred revenue as a liability, and it 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 ticks off over time, and that that can really kill you uh, on a on a post closing uh, purchase price adjustment. Um, Vitaly, do you want to hit us to the next question? Yeah, I mean, there's
1: also a question that's somewhat related um, in in investment transactions, right? Uh, kind of price protection and all of that, um, as opposed to purchasing the entire company, you know, clawback and, and uh, provisions and things like that. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, when it's an M and A transaction, it's, it's kind of complete and total, and it's a one-time deal. With investments, a minority investment, somebody coming into a company, it's beginning of a relation, relationship. And everybody basically gets on the same side after that negotiation is done. So they are quite different in strategy and approach you would take. So I'll, I'll kind of leave it uh, general at that. Um, but I think that's something that you need to kind of dig into specifics with your with your advisors when you get in there.
2: Yeah, uh, I think yeah. It's one thing I would add to that on the thinking about it from an earnout, you can equate an earnout to a, um, a a threshold, a performance threshold. On an investment where you're talking about further tranches of the investment. So, a lot of investments are set up so that, don't use the word earnout, but the company has to hit X in sales. Um, and that'll be the tranche two. And X times three is tranche three. So, uh, you'll, you'll see a lot of investments are set up for uh, staggered investments over time, again, based on company performance of hitting certain thresholds.
1: Yeah. And my my advice, if if we are going to double click on this, my advice is in that situation where the investor and you don't have a choice, but the investor, you really want them. uh, They don't want to give you all the money up front, you know, still fight for it and put in maybe a ratchet Mm -hmm. instead of taking, accepting the tranche because uh, for some reason, you know, COVID 20 might happen and they might not have the cash to give you and they won't be able to perform. And then you're really screwed. But if you do a tranche, uh, not a tranche, a ratchet, that means that if you promise X performance and you fall short by 20%, then the, purchase, then the effective stock price gets adjusted and they get more equity for the same amount of money that they've already invested. So I've, I've kind of reverted back to that in sub- several deals over the past few years uh, where, where you know, the, the team is confident that they'll hit the numbers or confident enough. It's better to have money in the bank and uh, do a, a ratchet adjustment potentially in the future if you don't hit your numbers. And this is for like series B, C type of deals where the company is, you know, already focused on, on generating revenue um, or profitability in some cases um, versus, um, you know, taking this tranche approach because more often than not, something comes up and you have to do backflips to convince them again to follow through on that next uh, tranche of the deal.
0: Given that question, Vitaly, and that it's uh, 15 minutes after the top of the hour, I think we should wrap. Um, I'm happy to announce our next webinar is going to be Tuesday, August the 4th, on the topic of venture financing term sheets, where we can talk about exactly the, the great point that Vitaly and this question is is triggering about uh, ratchets and other tricks and, and, and of the trade to uh, uh, preserve uh, value and uh, incentivize uh, folks on the upside. I, I want to thank uh, Natasha Allen of Allen & Hatcher who had to uh, drop off. Uh, my my good friends uh, Brian McAllister of MBL Council and Vitaly Golam from GS Capital. Um, just superb professionals who I, I'm honored to be able to work with uh, every day and, and invite uh, folks to follow up uh, with questions to any of us uh, on the panel. uh, And and, uh, we will be sharing a a playback of this video on YouTube in the following days, as well as a a copy of the slides, uh, which is a a good uh, cheat sheet for what should be in a term sheet. Thanks so much everybody for joining and look forward to seeing you on Tuesday, August the 4th.
1: Thanks everyone. Thanks everyone.
0: And that's a wrap.